Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories from the Old West. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, Chapter 2 of Yellow Wolf, His Own Story. General Howard Shows the Rifle The primal facts contained in this chapter were secured during my first interview with Yellow Wolf, but it is well to bear in mind that a few additional facts were added from various interviews until as late as the narrator's death in 1935. The first interviews were to be at my house, and on the morning of the appointment I was surprised to see Yellow Wolf and Interpreter Hart walking up from the river, accompanied by Two Moons, Roaring Eagle, and Chief David Williams, all of the Joseph Band. These men came and sat through each day's session, mostly in silence, but there was an occasional short conference held in their own language. It was not until afterwards that I learned it was customary to have witnesses to what was said. The listeners, should they detect an error, intentional or otherwise, in statements, were privileged to make corrections. These three witnesses had been through the great retreat, the first two as warriors, the last named as a boy, large enough to carry water to the warriors during the Clearwater battle. In this chapter, Yellow Wolf gives a short review of a contented and prosperous tribal life destroyed by armed enforcement of a treaty to which the Nez Perce had not given assent. He tells how they were shown the rifle. He depicts the excitement throughout the Indian encampment as they learn of the outbreak of hostilities. Looking Glass's hurried retreat with his followers to their old home in a futile effort to avoid war. The retreat of the remaining bands to Whitebird Canyon. The night warning of the approach of Captain Perry's troops and the silent massing of the warriors to meet the soldiers in battle. It was our custom for the old people to instruct the children. That was not like the learning of today, but was what we needed for living in this world. General Howard shows the rifle. I paid attention to what the old people said. I have always told the truth. I am telling the truth now. We had a good country until the white people came and crowded us. Now they have us to the brush. My father said property and lands, horses, and goods, just as you have what belongs to you in town or in country. My ancestors were glad to see the white strangers come. My people made no trouble, never thought about making trouble, never held anything against the white race. I am telling you, my people made no trouble, although the whites killed many of them. Only when they wanted to put us in one small place, taking from us our home country, did the trouble start. We were raising horses and cattle, fast racehorses and many cattle. We had fine lodges, good clothes, plenty to eat, enough of everything. We were living well. Then General Howard and Agent Monteith came to bother us. I had seen twenty-one snows when they came. They told us we had to give up our homes and move to another part of the reservation, that we had to give up our part of the reservation to the white people, told us we must move in with the Nez Perce turned Christians, called Upper Nez Perces, by the whites. All of the same tribe. But it would be hard to live together. Our religion's different. It would be hard. To leave our homes would be hard. It was these Christian Nez Perces who made with the government a thief treaty, 1863. Sold to the government all this land. Sold what did not belong to them. We got nothing for our country. None of our chiefs signed that land-stealing treaty. None was at that lie-talk council, only Christian Indians and government men. Note, contrary to Yellow Wolf's assertion, the name of at least one lower Nez Perce, Wap Tustamina, appears as the 27th signer to the Treaty of 1863. Yellow Wolf continues, 
"'Trouble began in the councils. First was a council at Umatilla. "'Olicott, too, and others went there to meet General Howard. "'But General Howard was not there. "'He sent a boy, Lieutenant Boyle, in his place. "'Olicott did not like this. "'He, a chief, could not talk to a boy. "'Nothing was done. No agreement was made. "'Next council was at Walla Walla. "'All chiefs were instructed to be there. "'A call went out for Heinmet Tunyalakit, "'thunder traveling to loftier mountain heights.' known as Joseph, also for Olakot, for Iopeo Haihe, white bird, for Tehul Huzote, for Looking Glass, and for Hatalikin. Joseph was my uncle, note first cousin to Yellow Wolf's mother. He did not go to Walla Walla. Olakot said to him, You stay here. I will go see what is wanted. With regard to your note about Waptastamina, he was well off, rich, "'and never signed anything in 1868. "'Never knew how his name was put to that steel treaty. "'He knew it was bad. "'Also, another lower Nez Perce. "'Ihastorti, more correctly, Wawastisti, "'bear on top, appears as the 20th signer "'to the 1855 treaty. "'He is reputed to have signed the 1863 treaty also. "'This he did, it is said, about 10 o'clock at night, "'and he was given a good saddle for his name.' If such was the case, an unidentified alias was used, for no name similar to that of 1855 is in evidence. Bear on top is said to have been not very well off, financially, and did not understand just what he was signing. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. And now back to Yellow Wolf, his own story. This noted chief Tuhuhu Zolte, sadly maligned by partisan writers, was dubbed by a white pioneer, a veritable fighter from hell. As a dreamer, prophet, and medicine man, he had a pronounced influence over the Patriot bands, but reliable evidence is lacking that from the first he counseled war. Every warrior interviewed on the subject testified to his advocacy for peace, but after the irretrievable step had been taken, he promptly took up the rifle. He was reckoned a buffalo hunter and a warrior of ability. He was killed at the Big Hole, his first engagement of the war. He was one of the six non-treaty chiefs. He was the Lower Nez Perce, but has been accorded no place in the annals. His band, the YYY Palus, the smallest of the war bands, joined the war party at Weepi after the Clearwater Battle. It was to this band that the dreamer priest, Hussus Hussus Coot, Naked Head, belonged. Because of his oratorical ability, Hussus was chosen by the Nez Perce as a speaker at the councils called by General Howard, who, mistaking him for the head of his band, dubbed him a wily chieftain about the age of young Joseph. He thus unconsciously usurped the chieftainly renown that rightfully belonged to Hatalikin. It is doubtful if either of them ever realized the mistake. "'All right, you go,' Joseph told him. "'I was surprised, my uncle saying that, but he was not feeling well.' was why Olicott spoke to go. Olicott was gone nearly one week. When it was morning, we heard a horse running, and soon Olicott came into the teepee. After eating and smoking, he said to Joseph, "'Government wants all Indians put in one place. If you say yes, I will bring in the stock, and we will go there. If the white officers ask what you will do, you answer, "'Nothing to talk about. Olicott has settled everything.' 
Soon after this came report that General Howard and soldiers had come to Lapwai. Our camp village was on Assotain, Eel Creek, about where Assotain now stands. Not many miles from Lapwai. We wondered why they were at the fort. Then followed word for all the chiefs to meet General Howard and Agent Monteith there in council. The chiefs who would go went with their followers, and I, Yellow Wolf, went with Chief Joseph's band. But Peo Peo Hihi and Tuhu Huzote of Salmon River Country were not there. Slippery trails and mountain snowbanks held them back. They arrived later. The soldier guardhouse was close to the council place. Indians stood all around a lot of Indians. A soldier was there with only one good arm. Right arm mostly gone, left arm sound. This soldier was General Howard. After they had a prayer talk, he asked, "'Where's Chief Joseph?' "'There he is,' the interpreter said, pointing to my uncle. General Howard asked Joseph if he had anything to say. Joseph answered, "'I will hear what you have to tell the chiefs. My brother and I came to listen. You must not hurry. White Bird and Tuhuhuzote will be here tomorrow.' But General Howard would not wait. He talked short, said the Indians would have to do as ordered. Agent Monteith read a paper and said we had to go on a small reservation.' Olicott made a short talk. He wanted to wait for the Salmon River chiefs before anything was done. General Howard now said, If you do not come on the reservation, my soldiers will put you there. This hurt the Indians. They said no more in that son's council. But there was talk in camp that night. Many wondered what would happen. With morning came Chiefs Whitebird and two Hujolzote. The council met. General Howard had one Christian Nez Perce speak a prayer. Agent Monteith made his same talk, telling us we had to move to the small reservation. General Howard told us again if we refused orders, soldiers would drive us onto that reservation. He asked for Tuhu Huzote and was told, He is here. This chief was our speaker. General Howard shook hands with him, but would let him talk only a little. They quarreled some, then agreed to rest to finish the talk three sons later. During this delay, more Indians came in, and more soldiers were seen to arrive. It was Sapalwit, Sunday, evening, when this announcement was made all through the camp. Tomorrow morning, everybody be at the soldier council camp. All went. I, Yellow Wolf, went. I wanted to hear what was talked. I did hear what was said. I saw what was done. In After Snows, I listened to my boy reading white people's history, things not true about that council. The Indians were not armed. General Howard broke friendship. The council was held in front of the guardhouse, maybe 150 steps away. Agent Monteith made his same talk again. How we must obey orders, or soldiers would be sent against us. General Howard got up and shook hands with the chiefs. He told them they could talk, but they had to come on their reservation. Chief Tuhulhuzote stood up to talk for the Indians. He told how the land always belonged to the Indians, how it came down to us from our fathers how the earth was a great law, how everything must remain as fixed by the earth chief, how the land must not be sold, that we came from the earth, and our bodies must go back to the earth, our mother. General Howard stopped the chief from talking. He ordered, I do not want to hear you say anything more like that. I'm telling you, thirty days you have to get on the reservation. You ask me to talk, then tell me to say no more. To Huzote replied, I am chief. 
"'I ask no man to come and tell me anything what I must do. "'I am chief here.' "'General Howard answered sharp. "'Yes, you are chief. "'I am telling you. Thirty days you have to move in.' "'Yes, picking your own count,' our chief said. "'Go back to your own country. "'Tell them you are chief there. "'I am chief here.' "'General Howard was showing mad. "'He spoke sharply. "'If you do not mind me, "'If you say no, soldiers will come to your place. "'You will be tied up and your stock taken from you.' "'To who who Zote answered, "'I am telling you, I am a chief. "'Who can tell me what I must do in my own country?' "'General Howard was now strong mad. "'He spoke in loud voice. "'I am the man to tell you what you must do. "'You will come on the reservation within time, I tell you. "'If not, soldiers will put you there or shoot you down.' Chief Tohuhuzote did not become afraid. His words were strong as he replied, I hear you. I have simioptia, that which belongs to a man. I am a man. I will not go. I will not leave my home, the land where I grew up. General Howard now called a soldier to come forward. He pointed to Tohuhuzote and ordered, Take him to the guardhouse. The chief turned around, and the soldier thought he was coming with him, but he was not. The soldier then shoved him over some Indians sitting on the ground, close together. They called out, "'Come get him!' The soldier did not come, and the other chiefs advised to Huhuzote, "'Go! We do not think they will do much to you.' The chief then stepped forward to the soldier. General Howard went with them to the jail, and there he again asked to Huhuzote, "'Have you decided to go on the reservation?' The chief, now a prisoner, made quick reply, "'Have you no ears? I said no. I am a chief, raised here by my father. No one tells me anything what I am to do.' "'No more talk here now,' General Howard said. "'You study and decide if you come in or not.' To all of us, General Howard now spoke. "'If you do not mind me, I will take my soldiers and drive you on the reservation.' Again, Agent Monteith told us, "'You must understand from this day, you are going on the reservation.' If you do not do as told, soldiers will put you there. All that hurt us. In peace councils, force must not be talked. It was the same as showing us the rifle. General Howard was just pricking with needles. That was not suited for the Indians. Tuhuhuzote was kept in the guardhouse several sons, like a thief. That was what brought war. The arrest of this chief and showing us the rifle. Some young men talked secretly among themselves. To one another they said, General Howard has shown us the rifle. We answer yes. We will stir up a fight for him. We will start his war. The chiefs were not talking war. After the Lapwai Council they gave orders. Everyone get ready to move to our new home. Round up horses and cattle. As many as can be found. That was done. Cattle were rounded up and herded south of the Salmon River. Water was too high and swift for their crossing. All the young calves there would be drowned. So would the old cows. While this was being done, the people assembled at Tapalawam, our old camping grounds at Tolo Lake. There were about six hundred people in camp, many old men, many women and children. The women dug camas, which grew thick on the prairie, while men and boys had good times gambling and racing horses. I was with Chief Joseph. I slept in his lodge. None of the chiefs wanted war. They held many councils to hear what the older warriors had to say. 
Some of these said, We will wait for those returning from buffalo hunting in Montana. Then will be decided what to do if war breaks. There were six leading chiefs, Joseph, Olicott, Whitebird, Tuhulhuzote, Looking Glass, and Hatalakin. This last chief, Hatalakin, had the smallest band, the Palus. He did not want war. No chief talked or wanted war. Looking Glass was strong against fighting. I am telling you about three times, no chief wanted war. When informed that the Nez Perce are accused in history of having cavalry drills, and of training for the war before fighting broke out, Yellow Wolf replied earnestly, Not true. There was no training with horses, no practicing with rifles for that war. True, we rode concealed on sight of horses, as did all buffalo-hunting Indians. There was always likely to be fighting with enemy tribes. We had learned, had done that riding from child days. We did it in Wallowa Valley for sport. Some of us would ride by where friends were standing or sitting and fire at them under our horse's neck, but not hit them. I've done that myself, in play. We were not expecting war with the whites, but when we did get into war, we used those tactics in battle. We did this at Whitebird Canyon, Cottonwood, and Clearwater fights. It was our privilege, our right to do so. Of men to fight should war come, there were less than a hundred and twenty. This was counting full-aged men, not too old, and young men of war age. No boys under seventeen snows did fighting, and those who proved actual fighters numbered less than fifty. I can give you the names of all of them. To Chief Joseph's wife, a baby was to come. It was because of this that Joseph, Olicott, and a few men and two women crossed Buzzard Mountain to the White Bird for beef. As I have said, all our cattle were south of Salmon River, which Joseph and party boated across. It was then, while they were gone, that war started. Many of our people had been killed by white men on our reservation, but at no time was anything done to punish them. The discovery of gold on our reservation, in 1860, brought thousands of white men. That was the beginning of our trouble. Those white killers were never bothered from living on our lands. They were still there, still robbing and shooting or hanging Indians. One of them who had been killed was Chief Tapyala Siskan, Eagle Robe. His home had been at the same place on Salmon River for many snows. A white man came to him who wanted land. The chief gave him some land. The man built a house and raised crops. Then he took more land, a part of Eagle Robe's garden. The chief tried to stop him from plowing. He drew his six-shooter and shot Tipulana, who was unarmed. He lived only a short time. When dying, he spoke to his son, Walitits, a boy, but almost grown. He said, Do not bother the white man for what he's done to me. Let him live his life. That was about two snows before the war. Now, 1877, Walitits was grown strong of body, sound and quick of mind. He had two near brothers, first cousins, red moccasin tops, and swan necklace. Swan necklace was youngest of the three. The two older men made their minds to kill that white man. They talked this way. General Howard spoke the rifle in a peace council. He made prisoner our speaker, Chief Tuhuhuzote. We will stir up a fight for him. We will kill the white man who killed Tipulana Siskan. The three went to the salmon, but could not find the killer of Tipulana. Becoming scared, he had run away to Florence Mines. He put on Chinaman clothes and worked with the Chinaman, washing gold. The young man now killed another man who had badly treated the Indians. Note, 
Young Schwan Netless was, was the only one of the three to survive the war. His identity was never known to the whites. It was kept concealed by those who knew him until after his death, which occurred in the late twenties. At the time of the Salmon River killing, in which he had no actual part, he was but seventeen years old. His name, then, was Red Sun Raid Grizzly, which, as Yellow Wolf expressed it, was put away and not used thereafter. To the whites he became known only as John Minton, no one suspecting his connection with the starting of the war. It was by that name that Yellow Wolf and other of the veterans referred to him during his life, not wanting him to get into any trouble. We will return with Chapter 2, Part 2 of Yellow Wolf, His Own Story, in two weeks. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories from the Old West. We do appreciate reviews, so, so if you listen, so if you're an Apple listener and you have a few minutes and you enjoy our show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We would appreciate that very much. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.